0: And welcome to End Credits here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Gulf Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me in a bit will be Candace Lepage. And, uh, the movie we're going to review this week, it's a kind of a big summer movie, which we regrettably still cannot see... In the movie theater, hopefully there may be signs that is going to change. I do believe reopening of theaters is part of the second phase. I don't know 100%, but um, we are kind of getting closer to that second phase of the reopening. So if theaters and I probably shouldn't be talking too much about this without like having all my facts in a line. But uh, if movie theaters uh, reopening is part of phase two, we may be very, very close indeed. So uh, keep one eye open for that. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk about the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new Broadway musical adaptation, In the Heights, which you can now stream on your favorite VOD platform. That is in the back half of the show. For the first part, we are going to continue with our recital of summer movie seasons of the past. So we are now up to 1990, which is, uh, you know, came out the year after 89, obviously, which was a big, big year with so many big blockbusters and franchises and hits Primarily Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton Batman, which um, reset a lot of expectations in terms of how big a movie can be, like sort of like (laughs) planet-sized, eclipsing everything else. Um, So, you know, that was kind of in the back of a lot of people's heads going into the summer of 1990. And there was one very in particular that was like, we're going to be the Batman of the summer of 1990. And, uh... That probably didn't turn out to be the case, um, because they're not even kind of remotely in the same universe. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in a sec. So we start on May 4th. Um, we get Last Exit to Brooklyn, which is uh, kind of an occult movie. Notable because it's a, it's actually a British-German co-production, but it's Last Exit to Brooklyn. It's an American movie told by people who... Uh, are from Britain and from Europe, uh, but, you know, stars a lot of Americans. So, you know, it's a big breakthrough film for people like Sam Rockwell and Stephen Baldwin. Uh, it stars Stephen Lang and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, but, uh, you know, it again, it, it's kind of mostly known for being a cult movie. A nice, slow, lazy version of something to start the summer. And then on that same weekend, we get Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which is kind of like the last gasp of, like, this trend of the late 80s of these horror anthology movies like creep show and cat spa um, tales from the crypt it, it just it was doing its best it did feature a script by George A. Romero adapting a Stephen King movie, so it's kind of still got that creepshow vibe. And it does something interesting that has in in the two, the bookend segments. It has Debbie Harry playing an evil witch, uh, Debbie Harry from from Blondie. And the poster art was pretty memorable. I I, I mean I remember it from the back of a lot of comic books that summer. Um, but uh, I th- I fear that's about all it's memorable for. <laughs> On May 11th, we get the class of 1999, which is sort of a sort of, uh, sort of sequel to um, a thematic sequel, if you will, to class of 82. Class of 1999. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it, it it could very well be patient zero for this trend uh, in the early 90s. of assuming that by the end of the century, America was going to be a gang-ruled post-apocalyptic hellhole. Um, where if you weren't with the Crips or the Bloods or whatever (laughs) gang, you were going to be some innocent bystander regularly mowed down in drive-bys. I can't say for certain that Class of 1999 was uh, the prototype of of that, but it could very well be, or at least helped it along in the process. On May the 18th, we get Bird on a Wire, uh, which is from the director of Saturday Night Fever and War Games, among other things, John Badham. Uh, it features um, Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn, this is like her the first movie she did since Overboard. This is also Mel Gibson at the height of his fame and power and influence in Hollywood. So, of course, this is a bomb. Named after a, a well-known Leonard Cohen song, and there was like a cover that I remember very clearly playing on Top 40 Radio. Um, that summer, the, it, that's just like this dreadful version of Bird on a Wire, <laughs> with kind of like this re- reggae flavor, uh, this kind of Harry Belafonte flavor, but flavor, it just, it it did not work, but I, I remember it distinctly as something that was terrible. I don't, I can never separate the memory of the movie from the memory of that song. Uh, I say song in quote marks. On May 25th, we get Back to the Future Part 3, Which is the end of the trilogy, the accidental trilogy, of course, famously, uh, somebody tacked on to be continued at the end of the, I think it was the home video cut of the first Back to the Future movie, because obviously it was to be continued, and uh, I guess enough people thought it was a, a great idea that they actually did two, they made two Back to the Future sequels back to back, and and released it in the holiday season of 89, and then six months later in the summer of 1990. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a fun movie to be sure, but uh, wholly, wholly unnecessary. On June 1st, we get Total Recall, which, you know, further cemented uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's stardom. Sets him up for a year later when he's in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is another R-rated uh, sci-fi action fantasy movie. Um, again, this is Arnold at the height of his power and fame. You got Paul Verhoeven directing, and it's, it's fascinating. Like, this was his sophomore film, like his sophomore American film anyway. And, uh, you know, he hits it out of the park with something that, you know, has, has just as much unique style and taste and, uh, as his RoboCop movie. So, uh, big hit for him. Uh, his next one would be Basic Instinct. I can't remember if that came out in the summer of 92, or if it came out uh, like earlier or later that year, so we may encounter hoven again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, The next weekend on June 8th, we get another 48 hours, which, um, I mean, Eddie Murphy uh, and Nick Nolte... Both kind of starting to wane at this point. It's it's important to note. Forty eight hours was like one of the biggest hits of nineteen eighty two. Uh, pretty much universally acclaimed by the critics too. Was, I think it was the seventh biggest film that year. So obviously a lot of fans of that movie. But it's one of these things where you know they come back seven, seven eight years later. To make a sequel, and it's like the magic's gone. So, Forty Eight Hours still widely regarded. Another Forty Eight Hours, not so much. On June fifteenth, we get the movie, which was supposed to be the Batman of nineteen ninety. Um, if you looked anywhere, <laughs> there was uh, like visual advertising in the summer of nineteen ninety. Um, it was the, the 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 silhouette of a man in a yellow hat and trench coat with his wrist up and uh, talking into a radio uh, on his wristwatch, saying, I'm on my way. It was absolutely everywhere. You cannot escape it. But when you get to the theater and watch Dick Tracy, it is not Batman. (laughs) Although it has like a... Uh, a soundtrack, you know, it, that was kind of, like, created for and inspired by the film. In Batman's case, it was Prince. In Dick Tracy's case, it was Madonna. Uh, Madonna also had a very key role in the film as one of the love interests. But it just, you know, it, it, it didn't capture the same. It, it had this kind of very old, old-y, old-timey, f- of course, Warren Beatty was, at this point, like a legend in the business as an actor and as a director. So it just it was it, it was it didn't feel as like bold and avant garde I guess as as Batman did. I loved Dick Tracy. Even when I was like eleven or twelve when I saw it. I thought it was great fun. Um I guess speaking to my lifelong love of thirties era gangsters and also villains in weird makeup. But um I understand why it didn't necessarily click in the same way Batman did. You looked at the advertising, you were promised Batman. You get to the theater, it is definitely not Batman. On that same weekend, though, you also get Gremlins 2, the new Batch, which is also a deeply underappreciated movie. I will go out on a limb and say it is probably better than the original. I think it's one of those sequels that is better than the original because Joe Dante goes whole hog into satire with that one. Uh, on July, not July, we're not July yet, June 22nd, we get RoboCop 2, <laughs> directed by Irvin Kirshner, was the director of The Empire Strikes Back, and I'm sure there are some people who are like, we get the director of Empire Strikes Back, we will get RoboCop, The Empire Strikes Back version of RoboCop. That did not turn out to be the case. Uh, famously, comic book writer Frank Miller wrote the screenplay. That also did not help. RoboCop, you know, without Paul Verhoeven and his very distinctive voice, it, it just kind of falls flat, and it's just ultimately a very silly affair. Not as silly as RoboCop Three, which lo- also loses Peter Weller. Peter Weller's in RoboCop Two; he is not in RoboCop Three. Um, there, there is some redemption for RoboCop, not in that, not in the remake. With Joel Kinnerman, but in there, there was a Canadian show, a Canadian produced show about Robocop that was um, actually pretty well done. At least it had some interesting ideas. On June 27th, we get Days of Thunder, which is essentially Top Gun in race cars because it stars Tom Cruise and it was directed by Tony Scott famously, this is the movie where Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman meet, and they get married shortly thereafter, I and mean, all, we all know how that ended, but in 1990, that was definitely a thing that sort of added fire and fuel to this, like a Days of Thunder as an appointment um, movie to see in the summer of uh, 1990, but even ultimately, that was itself not enough, so I think people smelled the the carbon, <laughs> from the carbon copy of, like, making the racetrack version of, of Top Gun. On June the 29th, we get Ghost Dad. Sydney Poitier directed this. That's Sidney Poitier. However, I mean, it, it's kind of a fun movie. Uh, even though it's about a dad dying and being a ghost and them trying to find his body so he can get back in his body and come back alive. He's, he's like a widower who's, like, raising his family. Of course, the ghost dad... The titular ghost dad is Bill Cosby, so um, the film is almost universally toxic now. (laughs) You cannot watch uh, Bill Cosby madcap as the ghost dad um, innocently anymore. Uh, July 4th, appropriately, we get Die Hard 2, which uh, Rennie Harlan does a really good job directing. But I mean, speaking of carbon copies, this is more or less Die Hard 1 in an airport. On July 6th, you get Jetsons, the movie, which um, is famous for a couple of things. Number one is uh, Tiffany from 1980s fame, (laughs) Tiffany. Uh, I think we're alone now, Tiffany. Um, She did the voice of Judy Jetson. I think this is also, if not the final performance of Mel Blanc. I think it's one of the final performances of Mel Blanc, famous voiceover artist who was the voice of Spacely Sprocket, George Jetson's boss. This is one of his final, if not his final, role. And then this is also one of the first animated films that used CG to a degree. Uh, a lot of the backgrounds and the uh, sort of the establishing shots incorporate a lot of uh, computer generated elements, which is really interesting. Uh, On July 11th, you get The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, an attempt to turn Andrew Dice Clay into a movie star, and it fails. Interestingly, also directed by Rennie Harlan. So Rennie Harlan has, like, two movies come out in two weeks. Very, very strange. Um, Andrew Dice Clay has done some good acting work, but he has not been, like, a movie star, per se. Um, He was in A Star Is Born. He also had a small role in Blue Valentine, a Woody Allen movie that... One Kate Blanchett another Oscar. Anyway. Uh, July the 13th, we get Ghost. A rare um, supernatural thriller romantic drama. Uh, of course, about a man who's killed and uh, his ghost uh, protects his... Are they married in that movie or are they just girlfriend, boyfriend? Eh. We'll have to look that one up too. Uh, that same weekend, Quick Change comes out. And I mentioned Quick Change because it's this like... It's this weird thing, Um, co-directed by Bill Murray, and if that sounds odd to you, it's because it's the only thing Bill Murray's ever gotten close to, like, directing, it's about, like, a a group of, like, bank robbers who dress as clowns, it's kind of a dark comedy too, not really typically part of... Bill's shtick, very. It's kind of his cable guy, if you get that reference. <laughs> but um, very, very interesting, just the same. Okay, we have about a minute left, so I'm gonna try and go through these really quick. On July 18th, you get Arachnophobia, which is basically Jaws with spiders, appropriate since Steven Spielberg executive produced and his longtime collaborator Frank Marshall directed it. On July 20th, you get The Freshman, which is this really, actually, pretty funny. Uh, crime movie with Marlon Brando as a mob boss who supposedly inspired the Don Corleone character in The Godfather and again, played by Marlon Brando and uh, Matthew Broderick who's a film student at NYU who gets mixed up in crime stuff uh, on July 27th we get Problem Child um, there was kind of a small trend of uh, of like demonic kids movies some of them were comedies some of them were not comedies Um, but I think Problem Child helped kick that off. On August the 1st, we get Young Goods Part 2. On August the 3rd, we get DuckTales, the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp, and Mo' Better Blues. The Treasure of the Lost Lamp is interesting because, I mean, with that and the Jetsons, we get, like, two sort of TV-inspired animated films that summer. On August 10th, we get, uh, Air America, which created the lifelong friendship of, um... Of Robert Downey Jr. and Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, you know, uh, famously was one of the few people would give Robert Robert Downey Jr. a chance when he came out of rehab the last time um, with the singing detective uh flatliners also came out that weekend and the two jakes the little scene sequel to chinatown directed by jack nicholson and i do want to mention this one because it's a personal favorite of mine on august 24th we get dark man which uh sam raimi made famously because he couldn't get the rights to the shadow which we may encounter in a couple of episodes further along the way but um we will have to wrap up the summer movie revisitation to 1990 for now Uh, we've got actual 2021 summer movies to review coming up next you're listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio Is free i pick a business school and pay the entrance fee and maybe if you're lucky you'll stay friends with me i'll be a businessman richard than Dad, nina's daddy tiger woods and i on the links and he's my caddy my money's making money i'm going from polo to modo keep the bling i want the brass ring like proto oh there no. goes mr braggadocio next thing you know you lying like pinocchio More flows that Obi-Wan a <laughs> <old. laughs> oh, You better stop rapping, you not ready. It's gonna get hot and heavier. You already sweat, yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, I'm sorry, was that an answer? Shut up, go home and pour your damn pants up. Oh. As for you, Mr. Frodo or the Shire, 96 G's ain't enough to retire. Come on, i have enough to knock your ass off his axis. You'll have a knapsack full of jack-after taxes. that was a clip from in the heights it's the new film from john m chu and it stars anthony ramos cory hawkins leslie grace melissa barrera olga mardiz gregory diaz the fourth lin-manuel miranda and jimmy smith so i am now being joined on the line by candace lapage candace how are you on this fine day i'm doing all right oh wow i was trying to (laughs) Trying to play up on the optimism and, and joy of our, our movie this week by... Is it
1: doing alright better than I am sometimes?
0: <laughs> well, I'm not your therapist, so it, yeah, <laughs> I guess. gas. <laughs> trying to do better than alright, but... Oh, whatever. Yeah, what, let's stop the stop the playback. We'll we'll start again. We'll start again and see how. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're already thirty <laughs> seconds into this. I'm going to be worse <laughs> if
1: we try again.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, message received. uh so <laughs> after that downer of a initially initiation of this uh, review, uh, we are reviewing in the heights, as I said. And Candace, you selected this from the enormous end credits movie selection hat. So um, why did you want to go into the heights, as it were? <laughs>
1: um, well, I will say, uh, so I've been wanting to watch this movie for a very long time, um, um People who, uh, I would say, regular listeners to your show uh, might realize that last year was a bit of a weird year for movies, and a lot of things that were supposed to come out did not come out, and In the Heights was one of them. And uh, I remember being in the theater with um, a ridiculous bunch of my friends who are all musical theater nerds, and we went to go see Cats uh, in December of 2019, and um, I don't recommend doing that, but uh, <laughs> I will say At that- least not sober. Yeah, it was the middle of the afternoon, too. Um, the best part of the afternoon and the best part of the movie, however, was the trailer for In the Heights, which, um, of course, most of the friends that I was with uh, were were even more excited than I was because they did know the play a little bit because, as I said, they're all musical theatre nerds. Most of them have um, <clears throat> been part of a, uh, a variety of um, local and sort of regional... Um, uh, I hate the word amateur when you're talking about this, because I think that if you're an artist, you're an artist, no matter what. Mm. But, you know, local productions of of many different um, pieces of musical theater, and obviously there are people who go uh, see shows and things like that. So they were even more excited than me, which um, seems uh, <laughs> unfathomable, because when I saw the trailer, just the trailer alone got me so verklempt like i just it was it was so just the trailer was so invigorating Mm -hmm. and full of um joy really right Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. joy
1: from these people who uh you know um and in the trailer as it came out they really pressed a lot more the sort of um the the dreamers the american uh dreamers so the the um children of undocumented people who lived in america so it was just this like joy-filled amazing song-filled lin-manuel miranda (laughs) sort of trailer and i was like wow this is incredible um i'm really looking forward to to seeing this uh and then last year it didn't come out last summer what Mm -hmm. did come out instead was disney plus put put um the Hamilton uh live on on their streaming network which was amazing cuz that was something i had not been able to see yet mm-hmm. but had been um looking forward to and and had listened to a lot of the songs and and liked them but i tried not to sort of get too into the songs cuz i kind of wanted to have the experience um in in the whole narrative story so it was similar for in the heights so even right. though last summer we were expecting it, didn't get it. I watched the Hamilton show, and it was incredible, and it made me even more excited for In the Heights. I still held off and did not, like, go listen to any of the songs or or do anything because I wanted to experience it all, in in one narrative story.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: my turn came around, and hey, it's In the Heights. It just came out a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and uh, I I caved. I spent ridiculous rental fee um (laughs) that just sort of you know irks me a little bit because i'm like i would i would spend that much to purchase it can i just can i just make that a purchase outright like i can't Mm. believe i'm gonna rent this and then have to spend the exact same amount at some other time to purchase it but whatever the movie business is a little bit weird now that it's covid um (laughs) I will say the nice thing about the rental is that it's uh, 48 hours, and so it's not like I watch it once, and that's the end. I have already watched this film twice um, since I watched it last night at 9 and this morning at (laughs) (laughs) 9.
0: 12 hours later.
1: (laughs) A full 12 hours before pressing play again. um, And I'll probably watch it again tonight at 9. So, you know, gives you a little idea of what I Mm -hmm. thought of
0: it. Uh,. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. I am not a musical theater nerd uh in the slightest. I don't know what the opposite of that is, but that sounds more like me. Uh but yeah, it it's hard to it's hard not to accept um the what what the movie offers just in terms of like jubilation and joy and fun. Um although there are like a lot of serious things happening on the edges, I I hesitate to say this is not a serious film, at least in terms of like you know content. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just you know I think it, it does what a lot of really great musicals do, which is um, give you great songs, uh, larger than life performances, a lot of exaggerated realities, and and you know the this film does sort of play with that uh, a lot too. You know there are a lot of really great sequences. Um, including one, uh, sequence that's a lot of fun of, uh, one couple that are, uh, singing and dancing on the side of a building, uh, at sunset, which is, um, (laughs) just an enormously beautiful, uplifting kind of very, has a very kind of old Hollywood musical kind of feel to it, like singing in the rain or, um, oh, what is the one where Fred Astaire's dancing on the ceiling? I can't remember, but you know, just that, that kind of like this is a musical, anything can happen. Here are two people dancing on the side of a building mm-hmm. uh, i I love that uh <laughs> and uh yeah it it's it's a lot of fun the A lot of the songs are memorable, and again, I'm not a, a musical theater person, but I mean that's I think that is a barometer for a good musical is if you're still f- you know kind of humming the songs or thinking about the songs in your head uh after like even long after you're you're finished seeing and i i watched it also last night and uh yeah so i mean it's just all around a really well-made film a lot of talent is on screen not all of it uh i recognized um there are some recognizable faces in it but there are a lot of new faces as well or at least new to me and yeah so i mean all the money all the talent is right there on screen uh, there, I do have some nitpicky notes, but otherwise, it's it, it's a fun time, and I, I, I think the big regret in seeing it at home is that you can't um, be in a theater and get that communal experience, because, I mean, imagine... You know, going on a Friday or Saturday night with a theater full of people, and, you know, inevitably there will be people familiar with the production, like people that you are, that you mentioned, you're, that you're friends with, who, you know, know the songs and can sing along and know what's coming up next and know that this is the scene where Usnavi um, awkwardly goes out on a date with uh, Vanessa, or, you, you know, all these things that I'm sure people who, who recognize um, or, or remember the, seeing the. the the musical or are familiar with the musical might remember and are their favorite scenes because everybody has a favorite scene so i just in in terms of like filling the niche uh in the heights is uh very nichey shall we say
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes so i i will um maybe uh caution for people who um are into musicals but don't really know the genre so much and so so don't know Lin-Manuel Miranda uh really well um In the Heights was was uh actually his his first I Mm -hmm. think um and he I mean he wrote it as a one-act play in uh when he was still in college and then uh, expanded it and things like that so Hamilton which of course is, is very big a lot of people know it um, and he spent many years working on and, and perfecting those songs and then as well as he also did the soundtrack for Moana which of course mm-hmm. um, you couldn't you can't go very far uh, in in uh, North America without hearing songs from Moana um, so uh, I will say some of the songs in this uh, in the heights are, um, you know, it, it's they're they're definitely not at that same level. I will say like there are, there are some that are just like really really great, but yeah. I will say that some of them are definitely more um I don't want to use the word juvenile, but but less <laughs> less experienced. Uh, right. You know, a less experienced writer <laughs> wrote them. Um and then there are also, you know, he certainly has a style and this is you know, this was sort of him discovering that style and learning things. And so things that worked really well maybe for him in some of these songs from In the Heights are things that he recycled or revisited or reused for other things. So um, I, I certainly did see uh, some some feedback from people mm. who've come to In the Heights after Hamilton. They're like, oh, this is just the same songs again. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. it's sort of that that kind of happens. And then on top of that, there is a thing about, you know, the musical genre where there are some pretty specific things about musicals that are kind of tropey and about the songs that they create. I mean, this is why I've I've sort of gotten into musical improv, like musical theater <laughs> improv, which to me just seems like absolute magic. But it's not really because people who know musicals so well know those beats, know those chord changes, know those those that timing that's supposed to happen so they can just sort of you know four people come together and improvise a musical just like right there and it's just it's it's uh mind boggling but also when they explain why it i mean it's not easy but why they are able to do it you're like oh yeah Mm -hmm. that is actually exactly like this musical thing and that musical thing um Mm -hmm. Certainly, you know, in in this, there are a lot of those tropes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I was thinking there's one song in particular that, uh, as as it was (laughs) happening, I was just like, this right here, right here, this line, this is exactly what people who can't handle musicals think musicals are all the time. And it's during the song where um, Yusnavi and Vanessa are talking about the the bottle of champagne and right. so she's singing and he's like kind of off in his own thing and he's saying oh this bottle is even sweaty like because it's yeah it's, right and i can't get this gold blank off which a lot of people really like that line but like <laughs> you know he's singing about oh like it's actually a cold bottle of champagne it's like the most ridiculous line and i'm like this right here is why people think musicals a complete joke because it's just you singing what you would say,
0: <laughs> right? That <laughs> I
1: was like, that's that's exactly what just happened here, and it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I mean, but but the that's like pretty close to the the denouement, so it it almost didn't bother me. Although I did, I feel myself wince uh, during that particular song as well. Um uh, But I mean, again coming from my complete lack of musical theater background, I did appreciate that this was um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's first big musical. And I was aware of that going in as well, that this was kind of his first thing. And like a lot of people who um, create something and hit it big, uh, you know, his back catalog was, was rated for potential <laughs> further exploitation, which is why we're, we're kind of getting this big budget in the Heights thing. It's like, well, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote it, uh, so it must be great. Um, so... Yeah, in-
1: interestingly though, I did actually look into it because I wanted to know how the movie was different from the play uh, and there are actually some significant things, but mm-hmm. I did find so the, the the this Broadway play was actually uh, in 2008 it was decide- picked up to be a movie so that was just, mm-hmm. I think Hamilton came out in 2006, is that right? Was that when it hit Broadway?
0: Mm, uh, I think it's more recent than that isn't it? Mm- I think it was when question. Obama was president that it was kind of, it, it became, or it, it blew up. Like maybe he started working on it in 2006 and
1: yeah, that could be, but yeah, I, it was interesting that this was optioned so early. It took quite a long time for it to come right. to screen because of people who were involved and companies that were involved and things like that. It was with the Weinstein company for a while.
0: Mm. Uh, escape the, <laughs> escape yeah. the dark pit there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so it it. I, I understand kind of the business mechanics of this. Let alone, I mean, again, it. I don't think, um, people who appreciate like the artistry of of these musicals. I don't think that. I don't think that they will pick up too, or they will pick too hard at some of the. Um, let's say the artistic demerits or the the lack of experience that the 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 man who originated the the musical production might have had when when he put pen to page and uh although me personally if you had not or if i had not uh been aware before watching the film that it was his first it's very clearly his his sort of first crack at things because there are Again, I haven't seen the theatrical production either, so I'm not too terribly aware of what's different from the the, the stage and what was done for the screen. But there are like various storylines that they don't seem to end; they just kind of peter out. And um, there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of scenes missing, like in like with a lot of the key relationships, um, where they just kind of hit the highlights um there's kind of like no rising tension or rising drama in certain things um but i mean i again that didn't hurt my joy of of seeing the film i mean it's even two and a half hours long and i I looked at that running time and i was like wow that seems like a lot but it 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 goes by fairly breezily It, it it almost seems like a i don't know like a review performance like we 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 We've brought out all the really great numbers. We're going to do them in these big, elaborate, lavish ways, and it, you you will pick up on the obvious story beats, um, even if we're not kind of giving you the whole story. And and I, again, I have no idea if that's maybe this is exactly how the the original stage musical flows. But I just the, the, there's a certain kind of tension that's that's missing. That it you know it it does feel very much like in the story device of the film. Of Usnavi telling these kids this story, it does really feel like this is somebody telling you a story, um, perhaps a bit kind of overhandedly, as opposed to just sort of watching something unfold. Which Mm. I I feel like that it's a narrative choice, obviously, but it it's just I I I didn't really feel any tension ever, whether that's like the dramatic tension between. the jimmy smith's character kevin and his daughter nina or you know the romantic tension between vanessa and uznavi or the romantic tension between benny and nina or it just you know i I picked up on the threads but i didn't necessarily get a sense of the the, the inner mechanics of these relationships if you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah and i will say one of the things that that Uh, turns out was different uh, that I think is a really just incredibly smart choice to make it different was about the, the Benny and Nina uh, storyline. And Mm. there was actually some tension in there um, specifically around um, who, who can be part of our family and who can't. Mm. Um, So uh, it was, it was really, really smart. I think of them to take that out and actually have uh, Kevin and Benny um you know being being friends and like respected like employer employee relationship mm-hmm. uh, i think that that was that was a, a much smarter way to go than what was originally in the uh, in the in the play and i think that that i mean by doing that that does sort of take a little bit of the conflict away from from their relationship but i think it's okay that just the conflict of you know him wanting, I mean, he was almost in a similar way to to her dad, where he mm. just really wanted her to succeed, and he didn't want to hold her back, and, you know, that was sort of where the conflict was, where he was just like, no, like, you know, we, we, can, we can love each other, but uh, I don't want you coming back for me, and I don't want you to be staying for me, and I don't want you, like,
0: right.
1: pining for me while you're away, I want you to go and... Like, take advantage of all the opportunity you have in front of you, so.
0: Right, and I, I did appreciate that aspect to it. um, And and I really liked the, like, we didn't get too terribly much of it, but I really did like the Benny-Kevin interplay, and, and the, the scene during the blackout where they're both, like, on the dispatch directing cabs to to different places in Washington Heights to help people out and get them to, you know, whether it's the home or the hospital or wherever they're going, like that was, I really liked that scene a lot, and it, it I just there it's, it's one of those things it's like you get these little glimpses like when Benny brings Kevin the coffee and he sees Kevin making the deal to sell the rest of the business and the, the dinner the dinner scene where there's kind of a, a confrontation and and then that scene at the at the dispatcher where you get these little glimpses of, of sort of like the relationships in this neighborhood but you don't you only ever really kind of get a sense of them so like when there is that confrontation at the dinner you I, I, I was wondering like kind of where the line is between Kevin and Benny, where, where you know Benny can be hypercritical of, of Kevin and and sticking up for Nina, um, and and what Nina wants, and you know, it, it's there. There's kind of like a a tough sort of. It's it's kind of tough to follow the relationship map in that regard. It's like you know, uh, is is Kevin really comfortable, or is is Benny really comfortable enough with Kevin as a boss that he's able to you know basically mouth off at like this. <laughs> at this family dinner table, and yeah. and take a stand, and and you know what might be the the price for that. But I mean, again, these are like I, I feel like every every kind of criticism I have is like super nitpicky because the overall package is so great. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and let's let's talk about like some of the some mm-hmm. of the songs and the choreography and and mm-hmm. cinematography around them is was really really great. Um, yes. I mean, you've already mentioned the the song, um the, yeah, on the side of the the building, which was great, mm-hmm. but um, the song uh ninety six thousand, mm-hmm. which is set essentially sort of at uh, the pool, yeah, is just like <laughs> i it must have taken them weeks. To yeah. to film that that piece, like to well, and months obviously before that to choreograph it and to train everybody, but it was it like, yeah, I mean that, and it's interesting because of course, thinking like this is the type of t- thing where, y- they actually took, you know, something that's built for the stage, mm-hmm. and, and said what. How best can we use this completely different medium that we have of film mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make to really take like make this better? Because I can't, I have no idea what it looked like on stage, but on mm-hmm. film it was, it was massive and huge and like hundreds of extras and choreography and water work and um, <laughs> even just the actual pool that they were at. And I will say, um, I've definitely spent a lot of time on google maps and and things like that looking up all the locations and and where they're coming and going and that pool because they they filmed in washington heights Mm. and like at at the bridge and at the park and at the at the pool and uh that that pool has a very unique look to it yeah and the song was really great too i'd say that that's probably one of the um we'll say hits one of the real hits of the the (laughs) musical that that's certainly one of the songs that's probably like most um ready for prime time
0: yeah for sure uh that scene was remarkable because there's like uh, choreography in the pool choreography out of the pool choreography uh underwater (laughs) choreography about like there are people like literally like kind of break dancing under the water and you kind of see them as you hear the the song as it's distorted under the water and like there's just so much going on in that sequence and you have you know the different main characters at different spots along the pool and you you know there vanessa floats out into you know in. it's like concentric rings around her. Everybody doing their own thing, and it's just—it's so uh, intricate and so beautiful. And um, <laughs> even though you're—you're you're kind of like thinking to yourself, "Oh, it's you know, a lot of a lot of people who are really excited about ninety-six grand," but uh... <laughs> well,
1: listen, ninety-six grand is—you <laughs> know—it's a—it's a nice amount of money if you're it's a, a middle-class song. person. Yeah. Um, it's—it could be <laughs> life-changing life-changing right. for yeah, people yeah. who are um you know in a in a uh, more poverty uh type spot
0: absolutely absolutely i mean uh we've had like sort of the lotto max jackpot lately getting higher and higher so it just it's um i guess maybe that's something that was affecting uh my view of the 96 grand not to, you know i wouldn't mind winning 96 grand myself but
1: uh yeah and what's a lotto max said? it's like 7 million or 70 million i don't remember i saw it this morning
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it was <laughs> because 70. it's
1: news it makes the news that nobody has won the money
0: <laughs> yeah the higher it goes the more newsy it is yeah. um yeah i i like that song i mean that's i mean i think that's like the big number in the film so i mean that obviously draws a lot of attention there are little things along the way too like even just the opening number um You know, there's a scene... Like, the way certain things are, like, framed and the way certain shots are done, like, there's a scene very early on where is looking out the window of his shop, and you can see him looking out the window, but in the reflection of the window, you also see people dancing on the street, and I really like how that was framed. And there's a song with Vanessa later on where she's, you know, talking about achieving her dreams of moving downtown and becoming a fashion designer, and you see these... uh, the, these fabric uh, rolls flying over the top of the building and draping the <laughs> draping the various buildings in Washington Heights as she's walking down the street you know that's beautifully staged and uh, I mean even ju- even like even non-musical numbers like there's scenes with like Benny and Nina where they're kind of just hanging out uh, walking around the the neighborhood and it, it's like everything's shot in this like golden crisp uh, lighting uh, where the sun is hitting the, the, the bridge, um, just right. And, uh, I think it's the George Washington bridge, if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, it just, it all looks so beautiful. It's, it's, it's always magic hour, uh, <laughs> when, mm. when you're kind of out, out and about and, uh, you know, credit to John M. Chu. I mean, uh, this is, I feel kind of like a natural, um, companion to his last movie, Crazy Rich Asians, where it's kind of a fairy tale. It's, um, you know, very elaborate, very um, beautifully staged. And, uh, you know, it's about a, a community that doesn't get a lot of representation on screen. And it's, um, it, was, it was lovely to see. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, I, th- I think technically it's about as great as a movie musical can be
1: yeah and i I will say too we should um recognize the, the cinematographer um Alice mm-hmm. Brooks definitely yep. noticed that it was that it was a woman's name when that popped up in the credits <laughs> because um there there aren't a lot of women cinematographers so right. uh, that was that was nice to see and yeah of course uh, the director john Chu and i I, I do want to and do want to give just a a little bit of space for mm-hmm. people who who have um some very legitimate um uh things to say about the casting, so I'd say for me, for you, for mm-hmm. um you know other white north Americans, th- this is an incredible incredible movie where um Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and um you know Cubans and uh black people are the stars uh mm-hmm. and that's that is really important. I think it's important for for us to to see that films can be made about people who aren't us. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important for Cubans and Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and and you know all all of those people to see that films can be made about them. Um, but i I definitely want to note that there are people who um, do feel that there's still some some whitewashing going on in this film because everybody is. You know pretty light-skinned um mm. and you know i i think i think it's important for those people to say though sorry i don't mean that like those people but i think it's <laughs> right. important for people who who are saying that and who are saying this doesn't reflect my reality does not reflect the reality of washington heights where there are darker skinned people um
0: mm.
1: i think it's important for them to to say those things to continue to push us to do better but in the mm-hmm. meantime for me and you this is incredible to see a, a story that's entirely like Latina and and Latino and Black led.
0: Well, I mean, there were also a lot of those criticisms about Crazy Rich Asians too. That you know, it's it, it's a very specific community that gets it's highlighted in that movie, and you know, boy, would it be great to to live at a time where. um one movie doesn't have to reflect every single person in a, in a community, and it would be great if that were true. But you, the the point is is taken that, and I think Lin Manuel Miranda has also addressed that himself. And uh, yeah, it just, I mean, I think anything, um, and hopefully one of the th- the things that you know the some of the excitement over this movie could do, and I think we've been seeing it slowly but steadily, is that. Um, more and more, we're kind of seeing the, the stories from other people, uh, other people who in the past might not have gotten opportunities to tell stories. And at the very least, um, this is a, a, a step uh, towards that, even, you know, no criticisms about representation in the real life Washington Heights, uh, duly noted, of course, but, you know, any step towards more representation, I think, is a positive step. So. Mm-hmm. so
1: yeah, yeah. um uh, i do want to uh let people know in case they are uh like me um <laughs> so i basically started uh bawling about halfway through this film um uh-huh. um abuela uh, claudia has just this incredible song that mm. happens um in what i uh i presumed and and then checked was sort of the end of the first act and then you know the mm. second act begins um and basically i i started bawling from that point forward and and pretty much just cried for the rest of the movie um both last night and <laughs> this morning so um you know keep keep that in mind mm-hmm. If, if you're uh, sensitive to musicals like, <laughs> then uh, you know uh, and and you're also sensitive to people around you who may make fun of you for crying I don't have that I live by myself it's great um <laughs> <laughs> just you know just a, just a heads up for you it's like a trigger warning for criers
0: uh fair enough i I, I like that uh, like the way that song was staged too. I mean mm-hmm. I I sort of saw it coming that uh, uh, abuela was about to uh, meet her maker as it were but the like that scene where in one song it it, it, because she's been sort of like this presence like throughout the film um but it's never really like it's she's like kind of the anchor to this community and it you never really learn about her until this sort of final um song where uh and it's done like all in a subway car and in subway stations, um, which is kind of alluding to her trip to the afterlife. Um, but in in, this, in in the in these spaces, and through the music and through the costumes you're given in like the space of three minutes, like everything you need to know about this woman, and where she came from and and the the life she's led. And it, it's and the the actress too, Olga uh, Meredes, is, is is also very very good and uh her i to, to her credit uh her, her presence is definitely missed in the the sort of the back part of the movie after uh abuela moves on and um that relationship i mean that relationship also with us and and you know her connection to the community is also really well done so i mean it, it really is these little things and i think you know musicals really can it is about the big broad song and dance moments but it can also be about these the, the way that the the movie does these little things that makes the difference between something that works and something that doesn't and that's a really great example of little moments that that help make the film work
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i mean that that song too and and you get it sort of throughout the film obviously um you know the the immigrant experience
0: mm-hmm. um
1: to america at least uh, you know um let's not let's not pretend that things are the same in Canada. They may sure. be similar, they may be different, who knows? But um you know, we get it from so many different different people about what brought them and their family to the states and why they may want to stay and um sort of naturalize or why they may want to go back to where they came from and uh it's it's I, I like that it's so messy that they mm-hmm. all sort of each have their own experience of um you know whether whether staying in the states is the right thing or not for them um whether whether they're allowed to or not is also um, yeah you know sort of a, a part of it. but I think it's it's great because we're we are have been told through history um that. You know, people came from poor countries to North America for a better life. And then mm. they became industrious and got jobs and opened, you know, corner stores and and fast food places. And then they, you know, became pillars of their community. And, and now it's all great.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: that isn't necessarily... The, yeah, it's obviously not a universal story. Um, and, you know, maybe isn't even like a you know sort of small minority <laughs> of of the of the story. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's great and I think it it's the right time for all of us to to think a little bit more about why why people immigrate to North America, to Canada and the States and what what we should be offering them when they come here.
0: Mhm. Um, really great, uh, music to dance to and, you know, the, the freedom to break dance in a blackout. I think that's mm-hmm. the message I'm taking from In the Heights, but we'll have to leave that there. Um, Candice, if people want to, uh, nerd out about movie musicals with you, where can they find you on the internet?
1: Um, I am everywhere on the internet at CIN48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8, um, you know, and and movie musicals, horrors, and apparently Hallmark movies. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still, you know, shocked. Shocked to say that I watch Hallmark movies. One day I'll get over that.
0: And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you want to listen to it again, you can just find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on The End Credits Show. Just open your Spotify app and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media as well. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m., for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. You can find my news and politics site as well at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. Bye. Uh-huh.